Well, good morning, all. Did you survive the heat? Or surviving, right? Yeah, I'm glad to, that we're all here together, and I'm so thankful for air conditioning. Oh, man. Yep. Well, let's uh, open up to Matthew, and we're in Matthew 19, starting in verse 23 today. Let me grab this. So I don't know if they still have these, right? If you get the dust off this thing. Yeah, yeah, that's right, 84, class of 84, and I'm not putting it on, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're not nice, Mike, you're not nice. Well, you know, uh, I worked really hard for this thing. Yeah, do they have Letterman's jackets still, by the way? Is that stuff? They do? Oh, wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> but, you know, uh, and I, I also was looking for my Biola jersey. I saved one of my jerseys. I couldn't find it. But, but I worked hard for these awards, the Letterman's jacket, the jersey. There's other things, too, I could have brought up that really silly in one sense. But I was so proud when I got that jacket. Oh, my goodness. It's funny, though, if you look at that jacket, it, it says Chris and then the B, because they couldn't print Brazil, it'd be like all the way across, but it looks like an R. <laughs> so I was like, ooh. But still, when I, when I got that, I was just so proud because I'd spent hours and hours of my life working for it up to that point. After school practice, uh, gosh, sometimes before school, uh, weekends giving up time, I wanted to make varsity. And I wanted to wear a jacket to show everybody that I was on varsity. Oh yeah. It was all about getting the acclaim of man, the praise of people, right? <laughs> but you know what? There, it, that is sitting, I had to dig around in some closet in our house trying to, I couldn't remember where I saw it last, to find that thing. I couldn't even find my Biola jersey, which I talk about Biola all the time. And, and it's gathering dust. I'm surprised that actually still is held together. Uh, it's, it's just, you know, there's fond memories, definitely. But it's, uh, it's also a reminder of my obsession with sports. I still get a little obsessed. I was watching the U.S. place against Costa Rica the other night, and I was yelling at the TV. <laughs> Taylor's like, Dad, mellow out. <laughs> but but there are, there's a lot of, uh, of memories that are good, but there's also a lot of regret because I was spending so many hours, because here's the, one of the things I wanted primarily is people to notice me. I wanted to be known. These remind me of the things that we obsess over, do any of you obsess over things at all, ever? Or am I alone in this? Yeah, totally alone, okay. I'm speaking, okay, good. We're all, we obsess over whatever it is, right? I'm not alone. You know, we, we, we obsess over whatever it might be, whether it's these kind of awards or whatever it is, and because they become a sense of our security. In a sense, we have something to hang our hat on. This is who I am. This is my identity. This is why you should notice me and think I'm okay. Indeed, the things we treasure here on earth the most, well, they'll fade to nothing, folks. They will. And, and there's, again, I say this, there's some fond memories, I think, of old friends and things that happened. 
But I also look back now, you know, being 50, there's a lot of time I put in that I wasted. A lot of wasted effort. And one day, these awards, these kind of things, they might be discovered or rediscovered in a box somewhere, but maybe not, you know? But these treasures fade. And the older I get, the more I can look back at the foolishness of my obsessions. My pursuit of the temporary, the lesser things. And if you remember last week's message, I think you know where I'm going with this. We had a a rich young ruler, and he came running up to Jesus, and he asked the right question. What was his question? Yeah, and but he said he had, what good works must I do to obtain eternal life, right? And that's, we, we saw that, and then, and Jesus answered his question, and this eager young man who had everything to look forward to, and in Jewish culture, everyone looked up to him because, oh, if he's rich, he's got God's blessings for sure, entrance into the kingdom, of for sure he has it. And when Jesus pointed out what he needed to do, what did he do? In sorrow and sadness, he rejected the Messiah's requirements because it didn't line up with what he treasured. And, and because of that, what did he lose? The greatest treasure of all. He walked away from salvation, folks, for treasures that were temporary. And Jesus, today's passage is going to build off of that to continue to make us think. Because who are the rich that Jesus is talking to now? It is us. Remember I read through that list? There was an exercise that a sociologist put together to help us realize that in America, we are in the top 90% of the world, really. Whether you have one car or five, a boat or You're just even renting. (laughs) Most of the world does not have what we have, what we would consider even meager possessions. So, folks, we have to take this to account. When I do this, I say this all the time, who am I also talking to? Me. I've been agonizing over this for the last two weeks. He walked away from salvation. He walked away from the call to follow Jesus because of he, he treasured something else. To follow Christ, we have to admit our need for forgiveness of sins, to be freed from the wrath of God, to be saved. The, the problems with riches is that it can make us uh, have certain attitudes that go against what it means to be ready to be saved. If you have riches like we do, What is the tendency? What? Hold on tight to them. Why, though? Because you're right. It's our security, our trust. It's our assurance. It's our backup plan. We can be self-sufficient, independent. It goes against everything of what it means to become a follower of Jesus Christ. To become a follower of Jesus Christ and to, to walk as a follower... Because this whole section, chapter 18 and 19, is all about, and going into the next chapter we'll see as well, is all about humility within, to be a part of the community. We have to be characterized by humility, not pride. 
and to, to have riches that could give us, it could boost our self-worth. It becomes what we trust in, what we fall back on, and, and that's dangerous. Blessed are the what in spirit? Poor in spirit. We recognize our need. Blessed are those who mourn. Over what was he talking about? These are the Beatitudes, obviously, in Matthew 5. Over our sin. And that's, that's so important that we have to understand that because in America, we can tend to treat Christianity almost like our car insurance. This one is our heaven insurance, right? It's one of the things you're going to, now I got that one, I paid that off this month. Went to church four times, done. That's, I've paid off my, uh, my monthly dues, right? And that's something we have to consider. And please hear this, this is all of us in this room to some degree, Matter of fact, in the parable of the soils, remember there's a, the sower and the seed, and he tossed the seed into four soils. One of the soils produced fruit for, for a little bit, but then it, it faded away. And here was Jesus' explanation of that soil. As for what was sown, and this is Matthew, Matthew 13, 22, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. The question boils down to is, do we truly value the kingdom of Jesus Christ, valuing, worshiping the great king, our redeemer? Because we can say that, but here's the deal. Jesus challenged the young man to do something. He didn't just want a a mental acknowledgement. What did he tell the young man to do? Sell everything, didn't say sell everything and store it in the bank and give it to the poor and then follow me. Again, he doesn't call all rich people to sell everything to follow him. Why did he do that for the young man? Because that was his idol. That was his true worship. And Jesus knew that. But yet we have to consider that. Would we forsake all to follow Jesus? There's a, uh, and I didn't plan this part, but I was just reading up on this morning. There's a, a new declaration signed by a bunch of Christian leaders. It was put to, it's called the Nashville Declaration on Human Sexuality, Biblical Sexuality. And it was uh, talking about God's design for human beings being there's only two genders, male and female, marriage only being for a male and a female, and talking about what sin is and what the biblical pattern. And, and it was, it's a great statement. I signed it as, you know, as they send it out to pastors and you can sign it. It's an absolutely solid and biblical declaration. But wow, the backlash. It's, it's like it's the new, uh, the new standard of what it means to be a good person. Is you have to agree with all, the, this, all this talk about all the genders that are potentially out there. And we just have to say what the Bible says, folks. Hey, with gentleness, with compassion, but we have to say what God says because He's the one who's the authority. But to say that, there's going to be consequences. So what will we forsake for the kingdom? Okay, let's get into the passage. And that's all kind of set up, but let's get into this passage. And it's pretty self-explanatory as we read through it, but let's read through it here. And I'm in verse 23 of Matthew 19. And Jesus said to his disciples, the rich, the rich young ruler had walked away sorrowful, okay? And Jesus turned and said to his disciples, truly I say to you, 
Now, when Jesus says truly, he's actually saying the Greek word amen, okay? It means this is true, stand on it. Listen to what I'm about to tell you here. Pay attention. Only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, I didn't just say it once, I'm going to tell you something else twice to emphasize this, and he's going to do an illustration. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Wow. Shocking. It's supposed to shock. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? Ah, good question, boys. But Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Okay? Then Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. That rich young ruler, he wouldn't leave everything to follow you, but we have. What then will we have? And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, pay attention, in the new world, the world to come, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So we have uh, uh, what the Jews thought would be one of the first guys to be allowed into the kingdom, a rich, righteous, according to the law, according to his own view, young ruler, a man of prominence, and in Jewish mind, he was blessed by God, because that was Abraham, right? And yet he walked away unsaved. And now they're trying to figure out what, how, what's going on here. And Jesus is making a very important point. And we have to ask ourselves, what is getting in, in our way of truly following Jesus? And if you're a Christian, this, this still applies. We have to consider what's hindering our walk, what's getting in the way of a, of a vibrant walk with Jesus. What are we throwing in our own path to get in the way? What do you value more than being His child? And if you are a Christian, what do you value more than living for His glory? So we see in the, in the first one, it's the, uh, in the first passage from yesterday, it was a desperate seeker in search of salvation. And now we're looking at the desperation of riches in obtaining the greatest treasure. Okay? And, I, and I, my first uh, point A there, I, I said this on purpose because that is the first part of Jesus' point. Salvation is impossible for the rich. What? But that's the whole point. That was his provocative statement. If you are depending on your riches to have eternal life, and again, in their mindset, a rich, righteous person, oh my goodness, that's God's blessing. For sure they're in the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, think again, folks. And Jesus said, I'm going to read this passage because I want to add in what he also said uh, in, in, in another passage in Mark. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. He repeated in Matthew 10.24, or Mark 10.24, a, a parallel passage, a, a recording of the same 
event, just with other things added in. And the disciples were amazed. See, they, they were amazed twice in Mark. And here it says, but Jesus said to them, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of, of God. He's, trying to, he's emphasizing to get into the kingdom. It is difficult. It's impossible. The, we just did the five solas, the Reformation. The whole point of the Reformation about obtaining salvation is what? If you could boil it way down. How do you get into the kingdom? Christ alone, but what is grace? I mean, I want to go to grace first. It's a gift. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, it's, it's a gift. You can't buy it. It's by faith, receiving, right? And it is Christ alone, Christ's work. Christ bought it, Christ earned it. Salvation is impossible for man. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person uh, to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this in Mark, it says that they were even more astonished. A second time they were astonished. They repeated it. They were so amazed that this was so shocking, asking then, who can be saved? And this young man illustrates a basic principle of this life. Wealth is a heady intoxicant <laughs> intoxicant, because it provides most of the counterfeits that fool a person into thinking he or she does not need God. And remember, what was the key illustration at the beginning of the Matthew 18 that Jesus says, thus belongs, this kind of person gets the kingdom. What did he hold in front of the disciples? A child. Remember, they were jockeying for position. Who's going to be the greatest? And he holds up a little child, probably about three, two to three years old. This kind of attitude, humility, trust, dependence on God. And the wealthy person is the exact opposite. I'm not needy. I got it all covered. I've got my bank account. I can handle it. And a child that young can't, right? To become like a child is to receive God into one's life who will then supply what is lacking. And this story should be uncomfortable for us as American Christians. Oh, by the way, I have a needle, the illustration he uses. There's been weird interpretations of that. Jesus is using hyperbole to make a point. And when he's talking about needle, he's talking about literally a needle. They sewed back then, right? I have a needle, super tiny. It's the smallest hole, okay? And then he's saying camel was the largest animal in Israel at the time. So he's trying to make a big point, okay? There's some interpreters who said, oh, the eye of the needle, that was the name of a gate in the Jerusalem walls that was really small, and, and you could get a camel through, but it had to get on all fours, and then you had to help it crawl through. And it's a picture of humility. There was a gate, supposedly, but that was until the Middle Ages. When Jesus was talking, there was no gate called like that. And if you're a Jew trying to enter into, the Jerus into Jerusalem, you're not going to take your camel to that gate. You're going to go to one of the normal gates. Okay? So if you've heard those interpretations, they're not right. <laughs> he was make, using hyperbole. Jesus did that. He's trying to say it's impossible for a rich person to get into the kingdom. And it's supposed to shock us. Jewish culture, again, believed that it was, a, it was a sign of divine favor. 
Abraham's wealth was assumed to be a reward for his obedience as a God-fearing man. And the psalmist declared in Psalm 112, 1 through 3, His children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. They had a wrong view of what that passage meant. And it's supposed to convict. It's supposed to shock and then convict. Wealth makes it very hard to trust God. We've already talked through that. It, it, you know, it, I use this phrase and it's just helped me. The, the rich, and I'll say us, have insurance to give us assurance. And that, and that way we don't have to depend on God. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have insurance. I mean, that's, that's okay to have. But we have to ask ourselves, what am I really dependent on? We have to ask ourselves that. And then we have to ask us this, assess ourselves this. Did you get Jesus' insurance just to make sure? It's a silly illustration, but do you get my point? Is Jesus just your heaven insurance? Or is he your king that you'll forsake all to follow? Yes, I have to ask that. And and we have to ask ourselves that every day because we start obsessing again. We always are, it says Calvin, I've said this many times, but I love this. Calvin, John Calvin, famous theologian from the 1500s, he said this, our hearts are like idle factories, constantly bubbling forth. I don't obsess over becoming a varsity player anymore. I obsess over other things. What did you say? Yeah, jacket won't fit anymore, that's right. Different kind of varsity, bigger one. Do you obsess over things, different things at different times? I think we all do. We all have idols. And it may not be something tangible, but I'll tell you what, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be something that you can, if you look at your life, you say, what do I think about most? What, what does my schedule reflect? And I'm not talking about like if you have a work schedule, unless you're a workaholic, and you're working way more than you should, and you're not with your family enough, you have to ask, well, maybe that's my idol. That's where your heart is. You have to ask ourselves that. So after saying that salvation is impossible for the rich, in verse 26, we see something change here. And that's where I say salvation is possible with God. But Jesus looked at them and said, with, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And here's the point. Without God's grace, it is impossible for the rich to be saved. It's impossible for anyone to be saved. We all are needy in need of His grace and mercy. Salvation is by God's grace, His gift. He alone does the saving work. He bought our salvation. Salvation is not by any good deed, nor is it a right of anyone's. The Jews of Jesus' time, hey, we're the children of Abraham. And Jesus turned to them and says, see these stones? God could create them to be children of Abraham. That's not how you're saved, being born into the Jewish race. If you were born in a Christian family, you're not automatically a Christian. If you walk by a church, does it make you a Christian? 
It's between you and God. It's a personal relationship. It's a decision and interaction you make with the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And I always throw this in. There are rich people who are saved in Scripture, godly people. We have Abraham. We have Job. We see Joseph of Arimathea, member of the Sanhedrin. We have Zacchaeus, the tax collector. They didn't sell all because that wasn't their idol. Uh, Zacchaeus, the tax collector, what did he do with his riches when he became a Christian? He went and repaid everyone. He had swindled and, and gave them interest on top of that, but he was still a rich man. Okay, so let's, but there are, Paul, we have uh, some good warnings to the rich and then an, an accommodation or uh, an exhortation to them. So 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But we, if we have food and clothing, with these we'll be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So that's a warning, right? Watch out. But then he also gives, you know, the exhortation of, for those who are rich in verse 17 through 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, prideful, arrogant, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Is it bad to enjoy life? No. We are supposed to, but it's within moderation, with, under the gaze of God, knowing we have to give an account, right? But we're supposed to enjoy life. We can. God created life. But on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, in this way, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Using your riches for self-gratification will not ever satisfy you. Never will. But using your money to be generous, to do God's works, to expand His kingdom, that will give you life because that's what God... Some of you are blessed with the ability to make a lot of money. That's absolutely true. But it's not so that you can just sit on your duff and, and just sit around and, you know, self-satisfy. It's to, so that you can bless the kingdom in various ways. Support more missionaries. Support the church. You know, be, you know, help for big, like the Hurricane Harvey. Right now, you know, the EV Free denomination, and there's other World Vision, just the whole list of great Christian organizations where they are asking for money so they can send teams in or they can bolster the churches there so that the churches there, the Christians there, can have a huge impact to help that city and, and the surrounding areas recover. Why? To bring glory to Jesus Christ. So some of you can give a lot of money for that, to bless them, 
to bless the name of Jesus Christ as Christians get involved in helping. But do you see what, what this passage is saying here? Is use it for His glory. Use it for His glory. We look into, yeah, bless you, verses, the last three, ver, last four verses, 27 through 30, we see that salvation is truly, it's for the poor in spirit. Those who would forsake all of their treasures and humbly follow Jesus. The exact opposite of what the rich young ruler had done. Okay, so follow me in this. So when Peter looked, he says, well, well okay, we, the rich can't get in. And Jesus says, with, with God, all things are possible. Okay, well, he's walking away and we thought he was in. We've left everything and are following you. So what do we have? And, and folks, some people say well, he was asking in arrogance. And actually, that's a legitimate question. His question was not, Jesus didn't slap him down for asking that question. The next passage we'll look at next week is, is actually directed at all the disciples for their jockeying. Okay, so we'll get to that next week. But here, he's asking a legitimate question. He's asking a question, so what do we, what do we get for following you in the future? That's okay to ask. That's a legit question. And, and Jesus could have said, well, I've saved you from hell. That would have been a good answer, right? But that he's already told them that. They have life eternal, but he's, gonna, he's giving them some more information here that'll be helpful for us because there is a glorious future awaiting Christians. We get some blessings here in life now, for sure. And he does talk about that. But even more, there's a glorious future that he's talking about. Okay, let me, let me walk through this and we'll, we'll talk about that. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, in the new world, that when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, okay, something's going on here. And by the way, he's not talking about eternity future here. He's talking about a state that's promised, uh, not a state, a condition here on earth that's going to exist before the eternal state, Okay. You'll sit on, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, he's giving some clues here. It's a very, very, what kind of kingdom is this, this future? It's a very Jewish one. So there's something going on here that should give us some clues that he's not talking about eternity, eternity future, but this state that's been promised all over the Old Testament, and that was hinted at even at Jesus' birth narrative. When the angel was, was announcing the birth of Jesus to, you know, to Mary, hey, you're gonna, he promised something in Luke 1, 32-33, that he would sit on the, on the throne of his father David. Well, that comes from 1 Samuel. So there's all these Old Testament promises to literal Israel that have not been fulfilled yet. Tons of them. And we're calling it what's called the Millennial Kingdom. All right? My whole point is not to get into big eschatological end times discussion here, but that's what he's referring to. That Jesus, when he returns, is going to set up in Revelations 20, it says it's six times in five verses that there's going to be a thousand-year kingdom that Jesus sets up here on earth where he will literally reign from his throne in, Israel, in Jerusalem, and the nations are going to come to pay homage to him. That's out of Psalm chapter 2. And Isaiah chapter 2 says that this is not the eternal state because the nations will say, let's go to the house of Israel so we can learn the ways of the Lord. 
If we're in eternity future, will anyone need to learn the ways of the Lord? No. There is an in-between period that's going to be the fulfillment of the promises made to Abraham and to his children, Isaac, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to the Jews all the way through the Old Testament. So many. Okay, so this is just to give you, this is what he's talking to them. He says, look, you stick with me, and you are going to be rewarded with sitting on the 12 thrones, judging Israel. What does that mean to judge Israel in the Jewish mindset? To govern. They're going to be his under-shepherds governing Israel. And so he's saying, look, that's part of your reward. And it's not just for you because he goes on to say, and everyone, not just, now he's not just talking to the 12, and everyone who has left houses, brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. When Jesus, you know, when his family came to take him away, we saw this earlier in Matthew. He says, well, here's my family. And then later we see him talking about, look, I didn't come, I, I didn't come to bring a sword, but I, I've come and I will divide families. Why would he divide families? Father turning on son, children turning on parents. What did you say, Steve? I did Some won't, right? It's true. We hear stories. I mean, I, I grew up with stories that out of communist Russia and, and out of red China where Christians, you know, many were in prison because they had family members turn on them because they were a Christian and their family member wasn't. It will divide families. I've seen, I've seen people disowned from their family when they became a Christian. And if, if, there might be people in here where your family won't even talk to you. Jesus makes a difference. And some people, you know, the consequences of becoming a Christian really aren't that bad. But, you know, again, when I was in Kazakhstan, meeting these pastors from other nations who were in Kazakhstan being trained at a seminary, they're there for a year and they said, yeah, when I, when I got, became a Christian, nothing happened to me. But when me and my wife got baptized, we were taken outside our village, beaten by the Muslims. It was a Muslim area. Beaten by them and said, if you ever come back, we'll kill you. They paid a price for becoming Christians, and he was being trained to go back to bring the gospel as a pastor to set up churches and build the kingdom. But yet the promise is that we'll receive a hundredfold. Now, we may not be rich in this life, but I tell you what, I'm seeing Jesus' promise fulfilled right here, right now. I mean, I was at, you know, thing for Scott and Scott and Terry last night, and I saw friends from their life there, and there's fond memories. That was their family. It wasn't just their kids that were there. Matter of fact, most of your kids weren't there. But they had friends from their life there who were Christians, and, and to see that they have a family that goes, goes on through the years. But we have that in Jesus. We had three different sets of friends from, you know, our last church when we were up in the Bay Area come to hang out with us. That's family. Some of us have family that won't even talk to us. The family of God goes way beyond biology, and it goes way beyond this lifetime, doesn't it? But there is a promise that there's a glorious future when we will reign with this reigning Messiah. 
Isn't that amazing? So let me ask you, and this is something I've, I, I have to ask myself all the time because I, I easily obsess. I'm compulsive. <laughs> Obsessive, whatever you want to call it. What do you value so much that it's getting in the way of your relationship with Jesus Christ? Christians. If you're not a Christian, what is it that you're holding on to that you won't give up for Jesus? Here's the deal. Salvation is free, but it's going to cost you everything. You have to give up a lot. Let me ask you, is it worth it? Let me ask you, Mike, was it worth giving up all those things you used to do? Yeah, me too. Each one of you, I'd, I'd ask, I know some of you, and you've told me, I, I wish I would have given up so much sooner. But here's the deal. As Christians, why do I still hold on to things? Because it gets in the way. Any of you struggle with that? I hate my heart sometimes. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> Getting in your last good comments. I appreciate it. Thanks, pal. <laughs> so, you guys, that's, that's something we have to really work through. I know I have questions up there, and there's questions in your hand to, to, to work through, but let's just leave it at that. Do you value the greatest treasure? If you're not a Christian, don't walk away like that, you know, that rich young ruler who walked away sorrowful. And if you are a Christian, do you value, do you trust that Jesus is going to fulfill his promises? Do you? And by the way, our riches are going to fail, aren't they? They are. We saw it in 2008. We experienced it personally, big time. That's okay. Who's in charge of us? Right? It's easy to say right now, but we feel the weight, though, during the weeks, don't we? During the days. Hey, let's, let's just think on that, and, and I'll be praying for you all, and, and is, I appreciate you praying for me too. May we live for his kingdom, folks, because that's what's worth it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us, your patience, your kindness. God, Jesus, I, I long for the day when you return to set up your kingdom. It's coming. It feels like it could be today <laughs> with all the things going on in the world, but we don't know when you're going to return so in the meantime, God, help us to forsake sin, to reject sin, to reject these idols, these obsessions that we just crave for, whether it be riches or whatever it might be. God, and help us to pursue you, to grow in godliness, to grow in our love for you, to grow in, in the desire to uh, be fruitful for you to share the great news of, of salvation through you, Jesus Christ, of freedom, of hope, of life, of life eternal. So God, I pray that you'd work that in us. And I, it makes me scared to even say this, but God, do whatever it takes. God, we love you. Thank you. Thank you for our time. And God, as, our, as we yeah, sing our closing songs, may it be a response from the heart response of a heart wanting to love you more and be used by you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.